0: Welcome back to the OU Shnai Mikra series and our study of Parshat Vaera. This is Menachem Nitzig, and in today's share we study Shvi'i, the seventh aliyah. The seventh aliyah begins with chapter twenty-two. It's the famous story of the Akedah and the Torah reading for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, but it's also one of the most complex stories in the entire Tanakh. After these events, and God tested Abraham, love Abraham, and God called to Abraham. And Avram answered, here I am. And God said to him, Please take your son, your only son, the son you love, Yitzchak, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a sacrifice. On one of the mountains, Asher that I'm going to tell you. In our shir today, We're not going to dare tackle all the major philosophical problems that arise in this story. However, I'd like to share with you several comments and insights as you read the psukim, especially in regard to the overall structure of the story. One general comment about how powerful the stories in Chumash are, that here we have a very short story, some 13, 14 psukim long, the story itself. And that story, even though it's very difficult to arrive at a concrete conclusion as to what message Chumash is trying to give us, There's no doubt that this story has spurred philosophical thought for thousands of years. I'm making this point because sometimes we read Chumash and we're looking for concrete conclusions. What is Chumash telling us? I think many times Chumash is intentionally ambiguous because it's possible to reach different conclusions when you study the story from different perspectives. We see this over and over again in our study of Chumash. Most likely that's the underlying reason why we find so many arguments among the commentators in regard to how to interpret different stories. And I don't think those arguments between the commentators are arguments where we can say this commentator is correct and this one is wrong. Rather, the manner in which Chumash writes its stories spurs thought and contemplation in regard to man's relationship both with God and with his fellow man. This commandment obviously puts Avram in a terrible dilemma. On the one hand, he's a dedicated servant of God and if God commands him to do something, for sure Avram should do it. On the other hand, he's a father, he's a moral person, he's kind, he wouldn't kill anybody, surely not his own family member, and surely not his only son, especially not the son that he loved so much and waited so long for. So in a certain manner, this story sets these two values in direct opposition with one another, a contrast between divine command and natural morality. Why did God make such a command in the first place? Some commentators are going to relate this to the opening line of after these events. Rashbam goes out of his way to explain that this entire test of Avraham and God's command that he offer his son is because of the treaty that he had made with Avimelech, as recorded in the previous story in Chumash. Rashbam claims that every time it says Vahi Acharad it relates specifically to the last event. He sees that in that event, Abraham made a mistake by making a treaty with Avimelech in regard to the land of Israel, because it's a land of the Philistines that belongs to the people of Israel, and Abraham had no business allowing Avimelech to remain sovereign there. He brings down several sources in Chazal that say that the reason why we lost so many battles later on to the Plishtim throughout Navim Rishonim, and the people of Israel suffered so many defeats, was because of that treaty that Avram made. However, most other commentators understand this as a Nisayon is a test of Avram Avinu himself, in which we learn values not in relation to how we deal with other nations, but more so in how we relate to God himself. I'd like to suggest a different approach, which relates to the word Nisayon, that Chumash uses as well in the opening pasuk, Elohim nisat Abraham, and God tested Abraham. Chazal understand that this is not the only test that Abraham had to pass; that there were ten tests, ten nisyonot that Abraham had to endure. The first one being his very aliyah to the land of Israel. That most likely is based on what God commands him in pasuk bet, where this command to take Yitzchak to the Akeda begins with Ve'lech lecha al eretz there can be no doubt that Chumash is linking the opening story about Avraham Avinu, where God commands him to leave Orkazdim to this command, which can be seen as the last story about Avraham Avinu, where here it says as well, From that perspective, one can study and view all the stories that take place about Avraham Avinu. From that perspective, one can study all the stories that Chumash records about Avraham Avinu in Parshat and Lecha and understand them as God testing Avraham. But if that's true, what's the meaning of this testing? In Hebrew, there's another word for a test, as anyone in the Israeli school system knows, and that's called a Mifchan. What's the difference between a Mifchan and a Nisayon? I'd like to explain as follows. A Mifchan is for the teacher, a Nisayon is for the student. A teacher needs to understand how much information the student was able to absorb when teaching a class. Because the teacher cannot read the student's mind, the teacher needs information in regard to how much the student knows. The teacher administers a Mifchan, when the student takes the Mifhan, he passes over the information that he has within him and gives that now to the teacher. However, there's no change in the student from before the test and after the test. Rather, now the teacher has more information that the teacher did not know before. Therefore, Mifhan is for the teacher. In contrast, a Nisayon is for the student. Anisayon is an experience that God will put someone through where the experience of going through that test is what builds the character of that individual. In other words, when Avram is put through the test of the Akedah, God is not testing to what degree is Avram committed to his faith. Rather, God needs to put Avram through an experience and that experience will make him Avram Avinu. If that understanding is correct, I don't think there was any way Avram Avinu could have done the right thing. Had he offered his son as God commanded, that would have been wrong because how could a father kill a son? Especially if God promised him that that son would continue the covenant. On the other hand, if Avram told God, No, I'm not willing to kill my son, that would also be wrong. It's going against a divine commandment. No matter what Avram would have done, something would have been wrong. And God, controlling this Nisayon, is totally aware that he'll have to intervene sooner or later and help Avram out. However, it's exactly this tension between divine command and natural morality. It's that tension which is going to teach Avram Avinu and his offspring a lesson in relation to the complex nature of the relationship with God. We'll follow this idea as we continue and read through the story. b'avoker. Avram got up early in the morning. He packs his donkey, he takes his two servants with him, together with Yitzchak his son. He chops the wood that will be necessary to bring the sacrifice. He got up and he begins to travel. To the place, or to the spot, that God had instructed him. On the third day, On the third day, Avram lifts up his eyes and sees a place from far away. If Avram was indeed in Beersheba and if Ha'er Moriah is where Jerusalem is today, according to most commentators, Ha'er Moriah is none other than Harabai today. That's based on a passage in Diver Ha'yam Bet in the beginning of Peragimel in chapter 3 and 2 Chronicles when Shlomo builds the Beit HaMikdash, they were told that the Beit HaMikdash was built in Ha'er Moriah. So if Avram is traveling from Beersheba to Jerusalem, it makes sense that on the third day, he'd be at a distance where he could see Yushalayim from far away. Jerusalem tour guides tell you that it's by Amonur and Netsiv in the area nowadays called the Tayelet. Pesaché, verse 5. Avram said to his servants, You stay here with the donkey. I and the young lad referring to Yitzchak, we're going to go up to here. Then we're going to bow down, referring to bowing down to God, and then we're going to return to you. Notice, and some commentators pick up on this, Avram is promising his servants that they are going to return. Not that I'm going to return, but we are going to return. At least there's a hint that Avram hopes that Yitzchak will survive this test. Pasuk Vav. Avram atzei Avram took with him the wood for the sacrifice. Vayasem ha-Yitzchak And he puts this wood on his son Yitzchak. Vaykach b'yodo et ha-eish After giving the wood to his son Yitzchak, Avram takes in his hand the fire and the slaughtering knife. And they both walk together. Notice throughout the story, we'll be repeating this phrase, which in itself gives the reader a sense of fraternity and love between the father and the son and reflects his tension that Abram is facing in this difficult test. There's a chilling conversation that takes place now between Abraham and his son. Yitzchak turns to his father and says, Daddy... And just like Avram had answered God and said, Hineni, Avram now answers his own son. He says, Hineni b'ni, here I am my son. I see the wood and the fire, pa'aye o'la, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? How to understand these questions very much depends on the age of Yitzchak. According to some commentators, Yitzchak is simply three or four years old. And this event takes place very soon after the party that was made for Yitzchak, after he was weaned. If Yitzchak is only three or four or five years old, then the difficult test here, undoubtedly, is for Avraham, and Yitzchak, the young son, does whatever his father tells him, and is totally unaware of what's really happening. If this story happens later on, which is implied by the word nar, which usually refers to a teenager, in contrast to a yeled, then it would make more sense that Yitzchak is somewhere between the age of 10 and 20. That would make this a test, not only for Avraham, but also for Yitzchak. When Yitzchak asks his father, where is the lamb for the offering? Is he asking a real serious question? Is that question really bothering him? Or is he beginning already to put two and two together? And does he think that he himself is going to be the sacrifice? That's very unclear. Like many points in the story, the story leaves those decisions to the reader himself. One small point about the word in Hebrew, when he says, where is the selah ola ayeh doesn't mean where something is, but why isn't it here? If you're looking for the location where something is, you use the word epho. For example, when Yosef is looking for his brothers, he meets someone in Shechem and asks him, Epho Hemroim? He wants to know where his brothers are. Here, Yitzchak doesn't want to know where the se' is. He wants to know why the se' isn't here. So when you want to know why something is not here, why something isn't in the room, or someone isn't present at a gathering, you say, Aye. If I want to know where something is, like where are my keys, we ask, ephah. A nice application of that is God's first question to man in Gan Eden. When He asks Adam Rishon after he'd sin, Ayeka, where are you? God is fully aware of where He is. What God really wants to know is why is Adam Arishon hiding? He's asking, where are you? Meaning, why aren't you here? God's asking Adam HaRishon, why did you run away from Gan Eden? And that explains Adam Arishon's answer to that question. He tells God I'm hiding, I ran away from you because of a sin. Again, that's a topic for a discussion on the meaning of that story in Sefer Breshit. Let's continue now with Pasuk Elohim, And they came to the place, the place that Elohim had told Abraham to bring the Korban. By even Shama Abraham when they arrived at the place, Avram began to build the altar. Bayarochitzim, he got the wood together, Bayakod Yitzhak Beno, then he bound Yitzhak his son. And then he placed his son Yitzhak on the altar above the wood. If we go back to our question before in regard to how old is Yitzhak, if Yitzhak is a young lad, three or four years old, he'll do whatever his father says, and he may be totally unaware of what's about to happen. If Yitzhak is older, if he's a teenager, then Yitzhak Listening to his father and not resisting, that would make this a very difficult test for Yitzchak as well. Pasuk yod. Abraham Yado. Avram now takes out his hand. Vayikachet amachelat. He takes the knife. to slaughter his son. As he's about to slaughter his son, finally God intervenes. But notice now how God's name is going to change in this story. Pasuk yod aleph. Vaykara aleph malach Adonai min Hashemaim. Abraham Avraham Avraham. yomer Hineni. Now, a malach, an angel of God, here God's name is Yud Kei Vavke. Up until now, the name of God that Chumash is used to describe the command that God gives is Shem Elokim. Now, the name of God which Chumash is going to use that's going to tell Avraham not to shech the son is going to be Shem Yud Kei Vavke. The deeper meaning of all this is way beyond the scope of our short shir today. However, it's something that's definitely worth paying attention to. So again, the angel of Hashem, of Yud Vavke, calls out from heaven to Avraham, saying Avraham, Avraham, saying his name twice, Emphatically. And as usual, how does Abraham answer? Hineni, just like he did in the beginning of the story. This repetition of Abraham saying Hineni every time God calls him and every time his son calls him is something worth paying attention to. The angel calls out to Abraham and tells him, Don't harm your child. Don't do anything to him. Because now I know that you are one who fears God. Et bincha et yichidcha and you do not save or hold back your only son from me. Here it would seem that at this point Avram has passed his test. God wanted him to almost Shech his son. and God comes and saves him at the last minute. Pasakid Gemul, verse 13. Baisabrahmateinav at that moment Avram lifted up his eyes. By Yar, Ayo. He saw and behold, there was a ram. Achar Nechaz Basfach caught by its horns in the thicket of this bush. Avram went and took this ram he offered the ram as an offering to God instead of his son. And according to many commentators that whenever we bring a korban olah in the korban musaf that the Tsibur brings on every Rosh Chodesh in Yom Tov the ayo olah reminds us of Akedat Yitzchak. Pasuk Yedalad Avram called the name of this place Hashem Yireh soon we'll discuss what that word means. Asher ha-yom, as it is said today, Bahar Adonai Avram named this place, God will see. That's why we want to understand Hashem As it is said today, at the time of Chumash, Bahar Adonai on this mountain, on Har men will be seen by God. Because there's a mitzvah later on of Aliyah the three times a year we don't come to see God, but we come to be seen by God. because this will be the place of the Beit HaMikdash, and Amisar will come to the site to be seen by God and this place will represent his presence Avram already names this place based on its future destiny you can see that direction of commentary in Rashi and Radak Rashbam offers a different explanation where he says people will say that on that mountain God had made himself known not that God will be seen there but rather God allowed himself to be seen there back in the time of Avraham the simplest explanation to understand Avram's response is based on what he responded to Yitzchak's question when Yitzchak asked his father where is the land for the sacrifice Avram answered so beautifully God will show us the animal which we will sacrifice in that statement Avram put his full trust in God that God would lead him in the right direction and sure enough after God instructed him not to kill his son immediately he saw the ram he understood that the ram that he saw caught in the thicket was a sign from God that he was supposed to offer the ram instead of his son and therefore Avram called that place Hashem Yireh, meaning Hashem showed me which animal to sacrifice. Just as he had told his son Yitzchak Elohim Yirelo hasel There could be even a deeper understanding here that Avram understands the message from God that, that someone needs to be willing to sacrifice himself to God. On the other hand, the last thing that God wants is human sacrifice. Therefore, the most basic message of this story may be that a person has to feel dedicated enough to God to be willing to sacrifice himself On the other hand, he has to have a total understanding that that's the last thing that God would want. In order to teach us the message that don't even think about human sacrifice, Avram goes through this test, and Chumash has to record this story in order that we know for future generations we should be willing to sacrifice ourselves for God. On the other hand, the last thing that God would want is human sacrifice itself. In that sense, when a person brings an animal instead of himself as a korban as an offering to God, many commentators understand that when a person brings that sacrifice, it's definitely not to feed God because God doesn't need to be fed, Rather represents the person showing God, that sacrifice should be me, but I'm giving the animal instead. This angel of God, Yudke Vavke, calls out to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he says to him, Now I'm swearing, God says, Because you did this thing, you passed this test of the Akeda, and you did not hold back your son, your only son. Now surely I will bless you. And I'm going to multiply your seed like the stars of the heaven. And like the sand that's on the beach of the sea. And your offspring will inherit the gates of their enemies. Notice how here we have a repeat of many earlier promises to Avramavinu from different times and events in his life where God had already spoken to him and promised him about his future. What's changing now is even though beforehand these were promises, as Radak points out, now there's a shvuah now there's an oath. If there were just promises or possibly even a covenant, if Avram would break his side of the covenant, possibly God could break his as well. Now that there's an oath, no matter how bad Avram's his offspring, may behave, the covenant will be eternal. God continues now his promise, And through your offspring, all the nations of the land will be blessed. Because you've listened to my voice, you pass this test of the Akedah. Avram returns as he promised his servants, his young lads. He returns to them. He said, They get up and they travel back together, together with Yitzchak, and his servants return to 'er Beersheba. Avram returns and dwells now in 'er Beersheba. I think Chumash points out that he returns to 'er Beersheba because Beersheba is where he planted this eshel, and he calls out in God's name. Despite, or maybe even because of, this test that he just passed and this renewed relationship with God, Avram Avinu continues in this mission to call out in God's name and help other people in the city of Beersheba As the concluding story of Avram Avinu and his relationship with God, and this is the last time in Chumash where God speaks to Avram Avinu, I think the main point of the Akedah in relation to the covenants is the fact that now these promises have reached the level of Shua of an oath. And hence they become irreversible. We have phrases in this promise which remind us of Brit Bein Habterim. First of all, God's name Yud that your offspring will be like the stars of the heaven, and the concept of Yerusha, conquest of the land. We also have the first promise to Abraham about being a blessing to the other nations. We have that here as well in The story of the Akidah concludes with the genealogies of Abraham's brother Nahor. Most likely brought down in order to find out about the birth of Rivka, who will be the wife of Yitzchak. After these events, it was told to Avram saying, yodam milka hi banim milka indeed has also given birth sons to Nahor, your brother. Recall that Milka was the daughter of Haran, the brother of Abraham and Nahor, So Melka had also given birth to Nahor, his brother. Et Vet kesed, vet chazoz, vet pildash, vet idraf, vet betuel. Those are the eight sons the Milka gave birth to. Uftuel yeladit Rivka. In addition to that, Betuel also gave birth to a daughter, Rivka. Shmona ele yadam Milka l'nahor achi Avraham. These eight children were born to Nahor, the brother of Avraham. Upileksho ushmah Ruuma. And the pilegish of Nahor, her name was Ruuma. Vateled gamhi et tevach vet Gaham. She also gave birth to four sons, It's interesting that Nachor has children in a format which is very similar to what we find later by Yaakov Avinu, having eight sons from his wife, or his two wives, and four sons from his concubines. This ends our study of Parshat Va'era. It's very difficult to discuss a topic so complicated as that Kedah in such a short amount of time, but hopefully our study today will be a catalyst to look and study the various commentators and see their approaches to all the questions which one confronts when studying the Akedah. In general, the Mitzvah of Tamud Torah is not always to find the one and only answer, but rather to understand the different possibilities and different answers because different stories about the Avot have different meanings to Am Yisrael in different time periods throughout the generations. The vast amount of Midrashim that relate to these events provide us with beautiful insights to how these stories can be meaningful for all generations. Wishing everyone a Shabbat Shalom and a Mir I'll be back on the Shnai Micro series for Parshat Bayetse and Vayeshev.